If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 8 tonight. I'm going to look at Acts chapter 8. The new church birthed. And it's interesting, as soon as the church was birthed, persecution came. Um, you know, as soon as they appointed these seven guys, Stephen was one of them. Stephen preached his first and last sermon, you know, and they looked at him steadfastly. They looked at him and they saw his face as an angel. And, and he said, you know, his sermon was interesting, you know, backing up some. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who foretold of the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become um, betrayers and murderers. And so they, they, the church started, it seemed like Stephen sets it off, he starts preaching before the council, which would have been the Sanhedrin, and they didn't like what he said, and they stoned him. They stoned him, and when they stoned him, they, he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice and said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so you can imagine the church, a brand new church, excited about the church. Um, I've been a Christian for some time now, and I'm still excited about Jesus Christ. I still love the Lord. I still share my faith. I still share Christ wherever I'm at. I tell people, you know, they got hope in Jesus Christ. Um, not always comfortable doing that sometimes, you know. People say, well, people, really brave people share Jesus Christ. That's not true at all. People that love Jesus and love to see people turn and turn to Jesus, share Jesus. So not brave people, fearful people can share Jesus Christ, but just do it anyway. I remember once sharing Christ in Camden, New Jersey. We had a, I was a new Christian. They had a whole team of people, and we were walking around sharing Christ. And you know how you do it. You're in the crowd. You feel good until you get alone, and you got to share Jesus by yourself with somebody. And I remember it was this big guy. He must have been, I don't know, about 6'10". He had on sunglasses on a day with overcast. I said, this is trouble. And he had a cigar in his mouth. And i never forget it. And, I was, and the Holy Spirit was clearly saying, that's the one. I'm like, I'm not going nowhere near that guy. And it went back and forth for, you know, four or five minutes. I'm not going. And before I know it, I got close enough to him. And I lost my voice. I said, you want to hear about Jesus? You know. And God said, speak up, boy, you know. And I said, wow, it has nothing to do with me. It's about Jesus wanting to reach people. It's nothing to do with us. But the early church, they had a problem. Persecution arise. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Now Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church. And now Saul of Tarsus of Cilicia, he's leading the pack. Very religious man. You know, it was the religious people who persecuted the church. It was the religious people who was persecuting the church. Rome later on persecuted the church, but when the church, the inception of the church, it was the religious leaders, and Paul was one of them, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He persecuted the church. 
And even in the days we live in, it's going to be the religious people that persecute the church. And that's the sad thing. And Paul, you know, later on, you know, his name is going to be changed to Paul. But he even says later on, you know, in Acts, he'll say that, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and to denounce the name of Jesus Christ. And, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Saul was against the church and wanted to destroy anybody that had anything to do with Jesus Christ. And you think that changed today? It's nothing new under the sun. A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And it says, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They were scattered. Is a word almost similar to diaspora? Scattered. Like spura, sperma, we get that word from it. Seed being scattered. You know, the church was scattered. You say, oh, this is so sad. We had our home fellowship and we had the, you know, we had the, the cooking class for church and the tennis club and the football teams and the glee club. And they, I can't believe this is happening. God is allowing it to happen. And it's for a reason. They were scattered except the apostles. Some say maybe they were trying to rattle the church. Some say, you know, maybe they just went after the Greek-speaking Jews because it seemed like Phil, Philip and Stephen, they were scattered. They went away. But the apostles stayed in Jer- Jerusalem. It's interesting when Jesus tells the, the apostles in Acts chapter 1, he said that, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. He didn't say go witness. He said you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this is happening. They, they being scattered. Maybe they got too comfortable. You know we can get comfortable and forget that Jesus saved us. And forget that he called us. Everybody have the same ministry essentially. The ministry of reconciliation. All of us have the same ministry. Different ways God uses, but he is the same ministry. If any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. You know, all things become new, and God has given us a new ministry, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, and he wants us to be a witness for him. Not a witness to people, a witness for him. We'll let our light so shine before men that they will see our good works, and he'll get glory out of it. Our whole lives should be a witness. And here this church is scattered. They scattered throughout the regions, you know, and God allowed this persecution. So we look at what's going on in the world now. He said, oh, everything is just haywire. And what about this? And did you get this? Did you get fascinated? Did you get this? You better watch. You know, people going crazy. Even in the church, you see. But they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And it says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made lamentation over him. And notice, as for Saul, 
He made havoc to treat shamefully or with injury. You know, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, women committing them to prison. Could you imagine how much a madman he was? Because God used Paul on, in both spectrums. He used Paul to be an instrument to scatter the church on one side. And when he's converted, he used Paul to plant the churches. Isn't that interesting? And here it says, for Saul made havoc of the church. You know, trying to shut us up, trying to destroy the work of God. You know, trying to shut the church down. One version of the Bible says, Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence. And that day is happening here in America. It's happening here. Sooner than we think, we're headed in that way. Paul was breaking up and destroying Christian families. You know, Paul was the first century terror, first century Bin Laden or something. And since Stephen is, you know, he's dead now, and he said, we got to shut these guys up. We have to shut the church up. We have to shut them up. And God allowed persecution. And then, you know, this man, you know, Paul was one of those kind of people. If you saw him coming, you said, you locked all your windows and you put all your shutters on your door. said, watch out for Saul. He's crazy. And maybe they think because Stephen did, God's work is going to stop. But God raises up another man by the name of Philip, the evangelist. He's the only person the Bible called an evangelist in Acts 21, verse 8. Matter of fact, evangelist is only in the Bible three times, I believe, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, and in, um, of course, Acts chapter 4, verse 11. He's an evangelist. And God raises this man up named Philip. His name means lover of horses. And you can think about all the things that's going on in the world. The church is scattered, and you say, well, I like my church. Well, your church might be out in the field somewhere. Who knows? You are the church. You are the ecclesia. You are the called out ones. We are the church. And it says in verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered, meaning those who were followers of Jesus Christ, went everywhere, notice, preaching the word, the logos. They're preaching, it, it means to bring the good news. This word is not caruso. It's like angelizo in, in Greek. It's a different word. It means to bring news, especially the joyful good tidings of God's kindness, in particular the blessings of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And they're going everywhere preaching, you know, this is what they should have been doing in the first place. This is what we should be doing in the first place. You should tell everybody, you know, I used to challenge myself and say, you know, if I can tell somebody about Jesus every day of the week, that's seven people I told about Jesus. And if I do it in one year, that's 365 days is a chance that somebody could at least hear that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he was buried and on the third day, rose from the dead. This Jesus is coming back in like manner, and he loves you. He died for you. Here's the plan for you. He has hope for you. They went everywhere preaching the word. Now, if they wasn't scattered through this persecution, they would have still been sitting somewhere comfortably. See what persecution does? God uses it for good. He uses it for good. It says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria 
and preach Christ to them. Notice it didn't say he preached himself or he preached Calvary Chapel. He didn't preach Calvary Chapel. He didn't preach about them giving him some money to stay on air on TV. He preached Jesus Christ to them. Jesus Christ to them. They preach Jesus Christ. It's good to invite people to church, but we should share Christ with them before they even walk through the door. Makes the preacher jobs a little bit easier. He preached that Jesus is Lord. And could you imagine that he's going down to the city Samaria, he's going to preach and the, the gospel to this sinful place and people going to, you know, you think you're going somewhere because um, you lose, you, you're losing some ground when somebody take everything from you, all your belongings, your property is confiscated, you don't have all your, you know, things you're used to drinking a cold Coke soda or something, now you're out on the run, they're on the run. And instead of him saying, how could I lose everything? Well, I don't believe this happening to us. They went and were scattered and they started preaching. They knew what was going on. Like seed being scattered and God used it. He used it. He used it. Philip was in Samaria preaching the good news. And it says, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. They listened to and responded to the gospel, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. It doesn't tell us exactly what he did, but it kind of shows us. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. You know, he mentioned many twice in his verse. Many who were possessed, many who were paralyzed. It was just many people's lives were a wreck. You know how many people's lives are messed up? Mine is still kind of messed up, but I'm saved. But do you know how many people's lives are really messed up and they have no real hope today? It is so bad out here, you can't imagine how, how bad and how wicked the world has become. And the deeper you move into the city, I'm in Philadelphia in the city every day, and the more you hear stuff and you see stuff, you see, it's no hope apart from Jesus Christ. It is no hope. We don't have to try to be professional Christians. We don't have to try to say the right things or say it. You know, we need to be sharing Jesus with people because there is no hope. There is literally no hope apart from Jesus Christ. You know, these people, in, you know, like in today's culture, they might not be physically paralyzed, but they spiritually paralyzed and they had a stance that they lame, crippled uh, for life in their condition, homelessness, you know, broken families, you know, fatherless families, so many fatherless families. There's no hope in our city apart from Christ. And you know, God is going to use us. He's going to use everybody in this room. He will use us. That's who he's going to use. He's not going to use anything else. He's going to use us. He didn't have, Philip didn't have, you know, a Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter or none of that stuff. He just went and preached Christ to some desperate people. People want to hear something good. But we sometimes hold back. And God loved Samaria, that city. He loved that, you know, God loved that city. He must have had a heart for Samaria in that particular location where 
Philip goes into, because in verse 8 is interesting, we wish South City had this, and there was great joy in that city. He said, there was, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. There was great joy in that city. We wish there was great joy in Philadelphia. <laughs> I wish it was great joy in Philadelphia. You know, last year, it was 499 homicides. Year to date, as of yesterday, it was 372 homicides, up 16% from last year this time, year to date. It's a lot of brokenhearted moms. So there is not great joy in our city. But there could be great joy in our city if the gospel was going forth, if people were willing to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and go in the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have a call. We have a duty. And it's not this thing that God makes us do. We got to love him first, and then we will love this lost world. The world is lost. You say, how can I get involved? I think sometimes we should cross the street before we cross the ocean. Some people called to cross the ocean, but not everybody. I know I wasn't called to world missions. I remember going to Mexico one time, and they put this food before me. I don't know what it was, but I wasn't eating it. You know, I had one prayer, Father, let this cup pass me, you know. It's the only prayer I had. So I said, I'm not called for world missions, but I was called to a mission field in Philadelphia. But I know it wasn't world missions because I'm like too much of a picky eater. And it says, there was great joy in that particular city. And I would love to see that in this city that we live, that we're connected to Philadelphia. And the cities around us. You got Doyle's town. You got some of these other places now. Is drugs and everything else in all these places? Is brokenness everywhere? Brokenness is just another word for saying there's hurt people. And the only thing that can change their lives is Jesus. And we have to believe that. And Philip is in this place, multitudes of people. Could you imagine, and I'm sure the temptation is all of these people hearing the gospel, people's lives are changing, paralyzed people are walking, the lame, and all kinds of things, demons coming out of all these people, and so forth. And the temptation for Philip, like it is for any of us, is that I'm part of something really big now. I'm part of something really big. And sometimes we can hide in that. Where you go? I go to church at Calvary Philly. And we can hide in that. So I'm part of something good, something great. And God said, I'm singling you out. To God, we're individuals. And so Philip has the, tem- the temptation of probably saying, well, let me just stay in Samaria. Look how good it is. I've been doing really good stuff. And here God says, no, 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 I'm not done with you, Philip. I'm not done with you. I have something else for you. You are using me now, Lord. No, I'm not done with you. And so when you look down in this chapter at verse 26, it says something interesting. It says, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. This is an angel of the Lord, an angel, doesn't say the angel of the Lord. That would be more of the Old Testament. Would, likely it would be a, 
a theophany of Christ, the pre-incarnate form of Christ. But here it says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. And this is a divine leading. An angel, imagine an angel speaking to you. Any angel would scare me half to death. So this creates a few thoughts. Did God see that Philip's work was, you know, in Samaria done? Did God say, no, no, you're done here? Or has God fixed his eyes on another nation or another city or another location? Would you be willing to comply and obey God if he said that? If he says, sell everything and move in the projects in Philadelphia, we would say, Lord, that sounds nice, but it can't be the Lord speaking to me. And here he has this choice to say, well, I don't have to obey this. I'm doing what the Lord told me first to do. It says, now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, notice, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. It's about 50 miles journey from Jerusalem. So he arose and went. And behold... A man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. It's an interesting verse. This is pure obedience. This is the same man who was called to wait on tables, remember? This was the same man that the apostles laid hands on, and it says it was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. This was, you know, Philip and the other six guys that was with them in Acts 6, 5. This man was a particular man that he knew obedience. He had a good reputation, the Bible says. And sometimes we could be in a place where we obey in the Lord, and we obey in the Lord, and, and he says, this is the place where I want you to go next. And I remember we started the Calvary Chapel, and I'll never forget this, me and Jerry Paradise. I said, Jerry was riding around one day in a car. I said, it would be real nice if it was a Calvary in the inner city. And we were praying in the car. I said, Lord, put a Calvary here. And some botada end up being down. I said, I don't know how this happened. But the funny part, I remember we started a Thursday night Bible study, and the Lord laid it in my heart to go to this project at Timph and Thompson. I remember the first night there, I would lead Bible study. I would, I had a Windstar van, you know. I would ride my Windstar and park out right on 10th Street. And I remember the first night I went there to pray, I said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm just, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey you. I don't know. I couldn't get two or so. I said, boom, boom, boom. I said, ah, You know, I pulled off. I said, I'm not going back down there praying. But for weeks, I just got compelled to go there and pray and pray and pray. And I had nothing to do with Tiff and Thompson. I knew about the projects at 24th and Jefferson a lot better. I grew up in that area. I said, why would you send me down to Tiff and Thompson? And every time I look at this one lady at church, I said, that's why he sent me down at Tiff and Thompson. It had nothing to do with what I wanted to do. I said, what do you want it to do? And this is what he wanted to do, you know, with Philip. He wanted to use Philip's life. And he arose and went. This is all obedience here. And behold, a man. You know, in Samaria, it was multitudes. Here's just a man. One man. We would have been, Lord, you mean to tell me you sent me all the way down for one man? And he's an Ethiopian man and he's a eunuch? He probably had a little bit of money, too, because he had his own chariot. It's probably sitting where we'd be in a modern-day Lexus or something. I don't know. Or maybe Maserati more better fit, you know. 
But he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Now to the Greeks and the Romans, they would say because of the geographical location of Ethiopia, that was the ends of the earth. And he said he wanted the gospel to go all of Judea. Philip went through Samaria. And in the mind of Philip, this may have been the ends of the earth. And God is fulfilling his word, whether we cooperate with it or not. It won't return void. Whatever he sent it out to do, that it will accomplish. He's going to accomplish whatever he sent his word out to do. And here, Philip, you know, it says in a eunuch, you know, according to the law of Moses, he says... The, the one who is emasculated by crushing and mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. And it says, and he had great authority under Candace, which is more like a title, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury. He was what we would call a chamberlain and had come to Jerusalem to worship. This would have been about a, between 96 and 120 day round trip journey. He came to worship. This man was alone. He was by himself. He left the feast. He had wealth. He had everything materialistically, I'm sure, but he was an empty man. He left worship, and he still didn't know Jesus Christ. He left one of the feasts and still didn't know the Lord. Something, You know, Josephus tells us that eunuchs were looked down upon. In fact, you were to avoid having conversations, conversations with such a one and let, and let such be driven away. So maybe he's in the crowd. And he must have left his house and said, honey, you want to go to Jerusalem with me? She says, no, not this year, honey. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. It's a, this dead or orthodoxy. Same old stuff. You go there every year. You never come back changed. And this is in returning and sitting in his chariot. He had his own chariot, which would imply wealth. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. And you had to have money to have your own scroll. So this man, had the, he had the word of God, but the word of God didn't have him. And he's reading, he's sitting in his chariot, he's reading, and this is, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Earlier it says Philip was guided by an angel of the Lord. Now the Holy Spirit speaks and instructs him to, to do, you know, to go and go near. And so Philip ran. When the last time you ran to give somebody a track or something? ran and heard him reading, because he was reading out loud, the prophet Isaiah and said, and Philip asks this question, do you understand what you are reading? Just because somebody have a Bible, it doesn't necessarily mean that they understand the Bible, nor does it means that they know Jesus Christ because they have a Bible. It doesn't mean that. The Pharisees knew the first five books of the Bible by heart. And they searched the scriptures. They methodically searched the scriptures. Jesus told them, you guys search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He says, and these are they which testify of me. He says, look, the volume of the book is about me. And they didn't know God. He said, you don't even know God. That's what he told the Pharisees. And it's interesting, this man, I'm sure he must have been dressed in his Sunday best or whatever he would have had on, nice chariot. 
huge scroll, pulling it out, worth a bunch of money, about a year's salary or something. And, he, and here he's sitting there reading and don't even understand what he's reading and don't even know Jesus Christ. And then he says, do you understand what you're reading? In verse 31, and he, meaning the eunuch, said, how can I, unless someone guides me, or it means I'll guide or to teach me, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. I love that because he had an invitation. It's nice when people that don't know the Lord gives us invitations to come over their house. And we get an opportunity to go to those cookouts sometime in places we don't really want to be. And the Lord says, oh, no, I got a mission field there for you. Oh, I don't want to go there. I'm going to be drinking. and you know, That's all right. You used to do it yourself. What are you talking about? You let your light shine. You know, we, I don't go there no more. Those people. No, 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 no. Jesus was around sinners. Then we should be around sinners. We should know some sinners. I'm not saying you hang around with them and compromise with them. I'm saying that we should be in the proximity of sinners so we can share Jesus Christ. If you're just around Christians and nobody else, God bless you. You'll get tired of them too after a while. Well, God has scattered the church. You know, he'll go. But Philip is by himself, and, and he asks Philip to come and sit with him. This is so nice because Philip had something that these religious guys probably didn't have. Of course, he was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit said, go near. He's obedient. He's a man. He's a vessel being used by God. God will never use unholy people to reach unholy people, but we will always use holy people to reach unholy people. And here, Philip, you know, he comes up and sit with him. Because the world doesn't need more religious people. It needs people to be sold out for Jesus Christ. This is the place in the scripture which he, which, he, uh, which he read was this. And this is Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. And no first century Pharisee would have ever interpreted this verse to point to Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel. He says, he, meaning Christ, was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his share is, is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself? Or of some other man. And this is Philip's clue to share the gospel. Then Philip opened his mouth. Because up to this point, Philip only asked him one question. Do you understand what you're reading? And beginning at this particular scripture, preached, and he used the word here, caruso, Jesus to him. Philip preached Jesus to him, singular, one person, not to them or the multitudes, but one person he preached Jesus to him. And we can do the same thing. You can preach Jesus to somebody. And we grew up, you know, you'd be in a church, you thought preaching was just screaming and sweating and all this stuff. Like, oh, man, it wasn't none of that stuff. Simply a clear, simple presentation of the gospel. And tell people, if you don't turn to the Lord, you will experience the wrath of God. 
He loves you. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are already condemned. You need to experience the grace and the love of God. You know, when Paul wrote Titus, he said, The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we can live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, because we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. We should be zealous for good works. We should be those zealous for good works. We should be not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. We shouldn't be ashamed to tell people, you need to turn from your sins. Repent. Repent. Turn. Metanoia. Change your mind about how you see your life and come to Jesus Christ before it's too late. Give your heart to Christ. And don't be a Pharisee. Oh, look how messed up they are. We were messed up. All of us. We got different stories, but they are the same. We're sinners separated from God. And God demonstrated his love towards us. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for not the godly, the ungodly. And most of us would have saw this Ethiopian eunuch and said, oh, man, that guy, he's well off. Look at the car he's driving. Look at the suit he got on. Oh, man, he works for Candace the Queen. Man, you know that guy got money. He don't want to hear no gospel message. Oh, he needs to hear the gospel message. He needs to hear the God. That boss you got at work, you say, I can't. They needed the gospel message. They always had me down at the office saying, he's in here sharing Christ again. I say, yep. You could get fired for that. Yep. Because we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. We shouldn't be ashamed. And he preached Jesus to him. You know, I love what Luke wrote, because Luke wrote Acts, and he wrote the gospel of Luke. But Luke says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Jesus telling the religious leaders that. And likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Didn't say the angels was rejoicing. There's, there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. One sinner could change a nation if he gets converted. And this man would be effective. One soul in a desert meant as much to God as the masses of people being saved thus far in the book of Acts. People were getting saved. God added to the church. Then it says he multiplied. The church multiplied. People were getting saved. And this one man was just as important to God as the thousands and thousands and thousands of people were giving their life to Jesus Christ. So don't you think that just sharing with one person don't mean nothing? It means a lot. It means a whole lot. And it says, now as they, Philip and this eunuch, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he uses the word believe 
pistuo. It's about 250 times in the New Testament. John uses it the most. He uses it about 99 times in the Gospel of John. But he uses this word. He says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe. And look what he says he believed, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what he said he believed. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you're here tonight and you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You'll be saved. You'll be saved. And this is exactly what this eunuch does. He believed, and and now he believes in Jesus Christ. This is not a religious experience, but a genuine, true repentance of turning to Jesus Christ. He's not a, you don't want to be a professional churchgoer. Yeah, I ain't go to church. I go to that church and, you know, yeah, I know I drink all the time and I smoke all the time and, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm living with my girlfriend, but, you know, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows our heart. That's why you're hung on the cross. Our hearts are deceitful and above all desperately wicked. So you don't know, I'm struggling. We are struggling. You ever heard anybody say they're struggling with drinking pneumonia? Or um, struggling with eating a bunch of cat food or something? You don't hear that. And here, Philip, this man says he believed in the Son of God, our, our genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. A genuine relationship. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. This man, he got baptized. He, he, he got baptized. Could you imagine? He, he, he's, oh, he comes to Jerusalem on his way leaving and so forth. You know, and and he, I'm sure he's coming home a different man. He's going to come home a different man. He went to Jerusalem as a, a religious man looking for some, I don't know what he was looking for. You know, you see people, they come and they leave the same way. They never change. This man has changed from the inside out. He has changed. And he heard the gospel. The gospel still changes people's souls. God's word still changes people's lives. It's not going to be the praise team and all my twirling all this stuff and the drum club. and all. It's going to be the word of God that cuts through hearts and change people's lives. And here this man, I could imagine being him. You know, he probably rode that chariot home real fast. Come on, come on. You know, I can't wait to get home and tell my wife what happened today. You know, you get saved, you want to tell everybody. And here this man, and he he got baptized. And now when they came up out of the water, the spirit caught Philip away, snatched him away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Now you say, well, this guy got saved. What is the real follow-up plan? The Holy Spirit has the best follow-up plan. Because Philip should have told him, hey, you know what, man, let me tell you something. You should go somewhere and, you know, what church you go to? Well, I want you to go there and get to be a part of the new believers class. He didn't tell him that. 
He said, when you get to Ethiopia, you know, maybe it's a class there. You know, that would teach you some eschatology and some, you know, the doctrine of pneumatology and hermitology, you know, all the tologies. He didn't tell them none of that stuff. He didn't tell them none of this. He just left them there. Because he know leaving them in the hands of God is better than our hands sometimes. And he says he got caught up, you know, and it says, so that the eunuch saw him no more. The Lord made sure that this eunuch dependency would be on Jesus Christ and not Philip. That our dependency should be on Jesus Christ, not people. And God made sure he could never say, oh, Philip is my hero. He was the one that baptized me. He was in, no, no, no. You know, Paul said, I didn't baptize none of you except Crispus. And, you know, he, he said, no, Philip, you got to go. I mean, you imagine being Philip, you know, you leave Samaria, you go down to this road to God's going into the desert area, down the road and so forth. And every time you lead people to Christ, the Lord said, you're done. That's the work of an evangelist. What's the follow-up plan? God had figured that out. We lead people to God, and God leads them to Christ. And that's all we can do. We lead them to Christ, and Christ leads them to God. We can't do anything more than what we do apart from giving them the word of the living God. That's it. That's it. Nothing. We don't have any wisdom apart from the word of God. He said, yeah, I got some special wisdom. Look, I'm a psychologist. I got something to tell him. Here, right here. The word of God, that's it. That is it. And here it says that Philip went his way, you know, and then here this man went his way, rejoicing. Now, according to Arrhenius, one of the church fathers, this unit goes back to Ethiopia and brings the gospel to northern Africa. And he would have a, a great impact on the entire continent of Africa. One man. See what happens when we stay in the crowd sometime? It could be that one person you share Christ with. Imagine the man that shared Christ with Billy Graham or the one that shared Christ, you know, with Charles Spurgeon or some of these people that God used in history. Just imagine the impact everybody in this room could have on the kingdom of God. Everybody. He said, I'm not really that good at that. I'm not neither. I remember being in one place. I didn't know what I was talking about. My wife said, what are you preaching? I said, I don't even know. <laughs> I just got up there and said, John, God so loved the world. And all these people get saved. And I was like, what did I say? And my wife looked at me. You didn't say nothing. Jesus said everything. <laughs> so I know that it's not how, how good. It's not intellect. It's not our, you know, how well our speeches, uh, you know, or how well we say it. That has nothing to do with it. I guarantee you that. You know, because remember the apostles, they were unlearned and ignorant men. They said, who had been with Jesus? No, they still with Jesus. You know, the Galileans had a certain dialect and a different language that they talked. They had a draw. They may have talked a little bit different. It says they were ignorant and unlearned. They said they were idiots and they were agramatists. Their grammar was bad and God used them. That's what he'll use, the ones that don't think they have it. 
And if Philip scattered away from where he's at and the Lord uses him for this one eunuch and Philip left the ministry of thousands to reach one man who would reach thousands. But Philip was found in Azotus, which is another name for Ashton. It's the Greek name for this city known as Ashton, one of the chief Philistines of Philistine cities. And passing through. Now, Philip, you think he would stop? Look what it says. And passing through, he preached in all the cities. <laughs> Look, he just kept preaching. This was the energizer bunny here. He just kept preaching everywhere he went. It says he went through all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And we won't find Philip anymore until we get to Acts chapter. It's interesting. When we get to Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Paul, they went to Philip's house. And the writer says, we. So, this is interesting. Luke went there too. He says that on the next day, we who were Paul companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. So I'm wondering if Luke wrote this, did he ask Philip? He says, tell me about what happened when the church was scattered. And did Philip say, hey, let me tell you, man, look, I went here, I went here, I went here, I went here, I went here. God used me. I left Samaria. I went down to this one man, and I'm here right now, and there's a lot of good things going on, great in northern Africa. He said, I can't believe it. And God made sure Philip realized that I'm doing this, not you, Philip. What a relief that is. We used to be at the YMCA, our church, and would pull up every Sunday and say, Lord, thank God this is not my church. It is yours. Thank God. We had all these homeless people come there, all these people from everywhere. We don't even know where they came from. In fact, we didn't even have a website. Somebody said, oh, can we wish your web? Oh, what? Web what? What do you mean website? And it was people coming from everywhere. We didn't know none of these people. We try to be nice to them, and then you shake some of their hands and don't you touch me. You say, you want to take a picture? No, don't take a picture. I'm a fugitive. Leave me alone, you know. These are the kind of people we're ministering to. We had nothing to do with that. And neither do you. You have nothing to do with it. You just have to have simple obedience and say, Lord, I'll go wherever you go. I'll go wherever you send me. I'll go wherever you lead, Lord. I'll go. And I don't know what that means. That may be across the street to a neighbor you've been watching for the last five years. That may be at your workplace to invite somebody over for coffee. That may be where you're playing racquetball or where you're playing golf with somebody. Wherever you are, God wants to use your life to be a testament, to share Christ. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw people, all men, unto myself. And we can go in the power of the Holy Spirit and we can leave the results up to God. And that's what we need today. We need more people to say, you know what? Oh, they called us a pandemic or whatever they called it. That's nice. But we need more people to say even now that people need to be equipped and ready to share Jesus Christ. If you've been to Calvary Chapel more than two years, a year, you equipped. You are already equipped. To share Jesus Christ. And that's what, you know, Philip's life was one of these lives. You look at his life, you start thinking, man, you know, you almost kind of 
just go past Philip and you go straight to Paul and all the things that God used Paul to do and Silas and so forth. But one thing that I know about these men in the Bible and women, they obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul called to go a place, you know, he would have never went unless him and Barnabas, if him and Barnabas didn't get into an argument over John Mark, he would have never ended up in Europe in Philippi. Never. And when he got there, he got beaten. But he was still in the center of God's will. Some things would have never happened if they didn't just simply obey the Lord. Wouldn't you want to see great joy in the city of Philadelphia? We should long for that. We should long to see people's lives transformed. And I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful for a few things. I make you rule over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I just want to see people saved. And we should all want to see people come to Jesus. Hasn't Jesus been good to you? Wouldn't you want that for someone else? So go be a witness with Christ. Go share Christ. Love this lost, dying world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we pray, Lord, um, Lord, that you stir our hearts up tonight, Lord, that all of us could be a part of the beauty of seeing a person's life transformed. Use us, Lord. Use us because of you, Lord, because of your power, because of your spirit living in our hearts. And let us be a light, Lord, in a dark world, Lord. Let us walk circumspectively, Lord, redeeming the times, Lord. Knowing that the days are evil, Lord, let us be those, Lord, who bring hope wherever we come. Lord, that we give strength to the feeble, Lord, and we give life to the deadless, the dead, those who are just dead in their sins, Lord. Use us, Lord, in the days we live in, we pray. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.